KRXO FM and KRXO HD Oklahoma City, a product of Tyler Media, reaching over 1 million Oklahomans every week. Now, the Outdoor Hour, giving you the inside scoop on the great outdoors on 1077 The Franchise. As long as I can remember, I've been drawn to the outdoors. There's something primal in each of us that awakens when we step outside the bounds of modern society and back into the vast possibilities of the natural world. The more civilized our lives become, the louder our hearts cry for reconnection with our native ways. Failure is imminent, dangers drawing nigh, but approached with reverence and tact, the outdoors return wisdom and gain. In both the outdoors and in life, harvests are fleeting, but lessons and memories abound. With that in mind, we step forth boldly together in pursuit of ourselves outdoors. We are nothing more than tree stand troubadours. Welcome inside the outdoor hour. I'm Taylor Maples. That's Joshua Wildman Stratton. Back in action, man. Back in action. Back behind the glass, our good friend Matt Goldbranson. Goldfish, as he's known in the streets. Solid flush, bro. Thank you. Yeah. And I like that. That's uh, that's how I'm known in the streets. Yeah. <laughs> that gives some cred to my name that I didn't know I needed or wanted. Yeah. You feel better about yourself I do. Now. Like, you guys saw the smile. I yeah. did. Yeah. 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 Put cred. some respect on that's that right. chest. That chest lifted up a little bit. The X bio is changing after this show uh, as soon that. as we get done. <laughs> yeah. Street cred. Yeah. Street cred. Well, man. It's good to always be in this room. I love doing the show with you guys. Josh, this is an episode that you've been talking about for months. Yeah. Yeah. And I know that you're intimately um, engaged with conservation, obviously. This is a topic that uh, you have spent years pursuing, um, different from what you're doing now with MDF, um, but something that you, you're, you're very close to and have a great passion for. So with that said, I'm going to get out of the way. Why don't you tell us about the episode? Yeah, I, and yeah, we can even take it, uh, and I informed our guest of this just recently. Um, he, he literally uh, was the catalyst for me making a career change and going into conservation in the nonprofit space. And um and I was uh, lucky enough from the motley crew of Florida captains that I used to run around with to be introduced to our, our guest today, which is Chris Whitman, one of the founders of Captains for Clean Water. Uh, Chris, how are you doing, brother? I'm good, buddy. Thank you. I appreciate it. To, uh, to visit. Yeah, it's uh, great to have you on and, you know, I, you know, I, I remember the day uh, our, our mutual friend bear Holman called me and said hey man uh while we're down here filming this new show uh let's go up to this banquet that these guys are gonna throw this fundraiser and uh we loaded up and headed your way and and uh got thrown into the fire and being able to witness the first um gala that you guys did and uh get a better understanding of who you guys were and i think fair to say you guys were still trying to figure that out <laughs> at that point when uh that that first weekend absolutely we certainly were just kind of uh dove in head first and figured it out as we went well why don't you give uh our, our listeners the the story man how, how did captains for clean water come about what were the motivators and uh where, where are you now as an organization yeah sure um so I'm Captain Chris Whitman. I'm born and raised uh, in Southwest Florida. I grew up on a little island called Sanibel off the coast of Fort Myers. And for my whole life, you know, I was an island kid. My life revolved around the water. Um, I ended up becoming a fishing guide in 2000. And for my entire life, I was impacted by water quality issues, habitat loss, fisheries in decline and even with that even with being a kid who grew up on an island and my career depended on that estuary and that resource um i didn't have any meaningful involvement in trying to stop that decline or fix the water quality issues and and that wasn't because i didn't care and it wasn't because i wasn't aware of the problems it was simply because i didn't see how 
um, an individual like myself could could make a difference in these you know in these issues that seemed like they were just so massive and um, and I had that mindset uh, that of instead of trying to fix it I would just deal with the consequences of of water quality I would deal with habitat loss the oyster beds and seagrass flats that I fished as a kid no longer existed when I was guiding and so I would run farther away I would find new areas and just adapted my program around those symptoms of water quality and I and I took that approach for the first 16 years of my career and it was a really it was was a piss poor approach to be honest with you I mean um, if anybody should have should have been trying to save the fishery it, it should have been me and I wasn't and so in 2016 my 16th year of guiding um the the primary issues that impact our fishery here as well as the fishery on the east coast the saint lucie river um fort pierce area stewart and and everglades national park and florida bay all the way down to the keys all the three of these fisheries are impacted by water management and water quality issues and all three of them share the same solution to fixing their problems. And so the, their problems are, are slightly different. The East Coast and the West Coast, where, where I live, um, we're affected by too much, these damaging discharges that come from Lake Okeechobee out to the coast as a result of, of an altered water system 100 years ago, water that used to flow through the center of Florida all the way down into Lake Okeechobee through Lake Okeechobee into Everglades National Park and ultimately down to the Keys in Florida Bay, that water can no longer flow. Um, it's been compartmentalized. The, the flows, it's completely a managed system. And so instead of that water going south to the Everglades, it gets discharged to the east and west coast. And that causes significant damage that, that I experienced my whole life. In conjunction with that, the Everglades is starved for that fresh water that it needs. Florida Bay gets too salty. And, and the, 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 the impacts are the same. We lose habitat. We lose seagrass. We lose oysters. Uh, our fishery goes into decline and collapse. And so there is this effort, Everglades Restoration, the largest ecosystem restoration project ever to be undertaken in the history of the world. And it's right here in my backyard. And coincidentally, it was put into law the same year that I started guiding, in the year 2000. But for the first 16 years of that 30-year project, they thought it would take 30 years to restore this this ecosystem. The first 16 years, there was very little progress. Progress was stalled, um, and and there was kind of this status quo of just dragging the feet. The industrial sugar industry here in Florida is the largest political lobby on any given year, and they, they wanted the system to stay the way it was because it benefited them, even though it, it impacted everyone else. And um, for the first 16 years of my career, I wasn't doing anything about it either. And so those first 16 years of Everglades restoration was um, w- was not good. And in the year 2016, when um, we, we started getting these discharges from the lake, it was a real wake-up call to us that something had to change. We basically saw collapse of our ecosystem. Uh, we saw everything from, you know, prized game fish like snook and tarpon and redfish to, you know, the little critters, shrimps, crabs, everything, all the way up to dolphins, and sea turtles, manatees, uh, whale sharks. Everything was dying. And along with it, our economy was dying. Hotels were empty. Restaurants were empty. Fishing guides were out of work. And that was, that was the, the aha moment for us that something had to change or else our entire way of life was, was going to slip away. And that was when we decided that um, we need to do something about, it. you know, the, the missing link there wasn't that there wasn't this plan. There was a plan put in place when I started guiding. It wasn't a lack of science. It wasn't a lack of engineering. What it was was a lack of stakeholders, a lack of people like myself who were impacted that were not involved, were not using their voice, and were not putting pressure on our policymakers to fund these projects and to, to restore the Everglades. And so 
that's what Captains for Clean Water was created to do. We, we created the organization to be a megaphone for people who care about Florida's waters, Florida's resources, um, our economy, our way of life, why people live here and why people come here to visit. You know, and, and it was created to be a, a mechanism for them to use their voice to create political will to ultimately advance Everglades restoration and, and save one of the most prized fisheries on the planet. And so that's what we set out to do in 16. And here we are almost eight years later um, going strong and, and we've made a lot of progress. You've hit that. on a lot of really good things there. Um, something that sticks out to me the most, though, is is kind of an interesting psychological and sociological principle called diffusion of responsibility, right? If you're driving down a backcountry road in Oklahoma, hours from the nearest filling station, and you see somebody stranded on the side of the road, you're probably, most of us will probably slow down at least, pull over, and see if we can offer some assistance. Because we assume no one else is going to. Because we assume no one else is right. going to. If you're driving down an eight-lane freeway in Dallas. Someone else has got it. Somebody else has got it. Yeah. So what that principle is saying is there is a threshold for each of us at which we all make that conscious decision that somebody else has got this, regardless of how big of a problem it is, there's enough eyeballs on the situation that I don't need to take action, right? Mm -hmm. But what you find is people stand it, stranded on the freeways for hours and hours and nobody stops because every single car that passes is making the same assumption. Yeah. So, Chris, I love hearing your story about this with Captains for Clean Water because – Something changed inside of you during those years where you said, you know what, I need to be the guy to make this stand. I need to be the catalyst in this and start to get some like-minded people. Everybody that drives by this wreck knows they need help. Why is nobody stopping? Um, and that is something really important for us to pause on here in the psyche of Americans and not just as outdoorsmen, but as people in general. There are a lot of issues in conservation and wildlife management and habitat and all of that today that are just being overlooked by people that are intimately aware of these problems. Chris, what was it inside of you that you felt like shifted and how do we start to help other people? to make those same changes in their own hearts to get engaged and involved with these causes that we're so aware of in our own backyard? Um, I think that's a great question or a couple of questions. Um, I think what changed in me um, was anger. It was seeing the place that I loved, um, that I've called home my whole life, that you know has shaped me into the person I am, Seeing it be destroyed, um, even though there was a solution on the table that just wasn't moving forward, um, it made me angry. And the more I started looking into it and talking to policymakers who, who should have been the ones that were pushing this, these, you know, progress forward, the angrier I got. Um, and that was the case for a couple of, you know, a, a group of us fishing guides and the other founder of the organization, Daniel Andrews. Um, and with that anger um, came motivation and passion to, you know, we're, we're not going to accept this. It's unacceptable. And so, you know, it, it wasn't like we immediately were like, you know what, we're going to be the ones that affect this change. What we saw was we just identified through ourselves, kind of look in the mirror, was a void. And we figured that if that void, that lack of public engagement, public pressure, if that void could be filled and everyone knew about this problem the way we knew about this problem, maybe then the problem would be getting fixed. And so that's, uh, that's really just what our mindset was. And we started just with awareness. You know, we started by making a Facebook page and just trying to talk to as many people as we can about this news reporters, you know, you name it, just seize every opportunity that would come before us to bring light, shine light on this issue and, and that very quickly grew into a movement of people just like us who were impacted, who love Florida, um, who, you know, it's maybe they're, they retired here. Maybe they worked their whole life to be here. Maybe they were born and raised here like myself, or, or maybe it's just a bucket list place that they want to come fish for tarpon in the Everglades one day. 
but there was all these people that loved this place that like us were not involved and they just weren't involved because they didn't see a way. And so, um, very quickly that movement of people, um, began to rise up and, and we saw an opportunity there to kind of harness that and, um, organize it. And, and in order to organize it, 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 you know, literally ended up developing into an organization, um, to kind of steer and, and, and direct this, this movement of, of anger, this movement of concern. And, um, and that's what we've done. And, and, uh, we do that through education and outreach. We figure that if, if we can educate people, whether here in Florida or whether in Oklahoma or Montana or Alaska, um, if we can educate them on what's happening to the Everglades, a national treasure, a national park, a, a, you know, iconic fishery, if we could educate them on what's happening and the fact that there is this solution available, but it requires support, um, not just from Florida, but from the other 49 states, you know, Everglades Restoration, as I mentioned, it's the largest restoration ecosystem restoration project in the world. And it's a partnership between the state of Florida and the federal government. And so it requires funding to the Army Corps of Engineers to build these projects um, every single year. And, and in order to get that funding, you need support from the other 49 states saying the Everglades is, is a national treasure. It's worth the investment. And we need to invest this money into restoring that ecosystem. And so it's really important for people listening outside of Florida to understand the critical role that they play in this effort. And, um, and you know, I think that, that that's what the organization set out to do. If we can educate people and get them to understand through opportunities like talking to you guys today, then they're more likely to take the time to learn, to engage, um, to just come into the organization. Just, just come in, sign up for our emails. It doesn't cost anything. Follow us on social media. Um, by doing so, we can educate them, and then we can provide opportunities for them to use their voice when their voice is needed. And that's the model we took. That's the model we built. And to this day, seven years later, that model's proven to be the most effective thing in driving progress forward on this issue. We got to squeeze in a break here, but before we do, Chris, you mentioned social media. Now's a good time. Why don't you go ahead and plug some of those handles if you got them? Where can our listeners find more information on this online? Yeah, so we've got uh, your your typical social media stuff, uh, Facebook, Instagram. Uh, I know we've got a TikTok. We've got a Twitter. Um, but if you just search Captains for Clean Water um, on any of those, uh, you should be able to find us and, and follow along there. We are chatting this week with Chris Whitman from Captains for Clean Water. This is the Outdoor Hour on 1077 The Franchise, and we'll be back with more after this. Hey, deer season is winding down here in Oklahoma. This is the final stretch. If you're still in the deer woods, good for you, for starters. But, hey, you're probably frozen. Your toes are cold. Your fingers are numb. You're looking for some snacks and a way that you can sneak an extra sip of coffee in the stand. I've got an idea for you. Next year, go buy an oaky hide. These things are made right here in Oklahoma City by Oklahomans, and they're traveling all over the world now because the secret has gotten out that oaky hides allow you to get away with more. You can sit longer, more comfortably, 26-gauge galvanized sheeting, marine-grade carpeting inside, blackout curtains. These things are noise-proof. You can have kids in there. Um, I mean, literally, you can get away with so many things inside an oaky hide that you just can't do out in a ladder stand or hang-on stand. And it's going to be the last blind you ever have to buy because this thing is going to last for years and years to come. Check out oakyhides.com for more information. Go see their uh, plant and showroom here in Oklahoma City as well. Find them on social media at oakyhides. You're listening to the Outdoor Hour on 107.7 The Franchise. Back with Chris Whitman from Captains for Clean Water after this. You're listening to the Outdoor Hour with your host Taylor Maples and Josh Stratton on 1077 The Franchise. Welcome back inside the Outdoor Hour. Taylor Maples, Joshua Wildman Stratton. Doing it. 
I like the head nod there. Yeah, because they can see that. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, like I appreciate it. Yeah, I exactly. got you. Yeah. Our guest this week is Chris Whitman from Captains for Clean Water. And, man, this is a topic that you could just spend hours and hours going deeper and deeper into the conservation, not only – you know, in the saltwater area that we're talking about here specifically with Chris, but Josh, your work with MDF, I mean, this is just such a wide-sweeping thing. Yeah, I mean, it as, you know, not to take something from MDF, but, you know, there's a reason our newest initiative is called Connected by Conservation, right? We're all deeply connected to the acts of conservation to keep us on a landscape that's enjoyable and fruitful and beautiful and inspiring and um, we all have our own past in that, um, you know, Chris being where he is, it's heavily centric on the salt and, and the fisheries. And, and that stems from what I hope people heard was first and foremost, he was raised on the water and he chose to become a captain and it, and it is the, his life that exposed this, um, concern to him and, and showcased the threats that were, uh, at his back door, as he mentioned. And so, Chris, I'd I love for you to kind of expand on uh, Captains for Clean Water and how the name came about, but more importantly, how um, the community of people that helped start it uh, had a major impact on why it's called Captains for Clean Water. Yeah, so, I mean, it was kind of a, an approach of... When, when the first thing we did when we started this was was create a Facebook page, and the guys that you know that were pushing it, myself, Daniel Andrews, a handful of other of other fishing guides and captains, um, we it was just it was just pretty simple. We were captains, and what we wanted was clean water and healthy fisheries, and so that name came up, and and it stuck, and it's something that could be applied um, to water issues, and so it was just. That's, that was the core, and, and still to this day, eight years later, it remains to be the core of our organization is the not just the fishing community, but the, the outdoor community or the people that are connected to a resource. Um, and so that, that's where the name came from. Um, it was fishing guides that, that saw this, you know, the canaries in the coal mine, often people who are in the resource and um, know it most intimately recognize issues happening there long before science does and um you know the the everyday observation and knowledge of that fishery is is what's tied to that and so anyway it's uh that's where the name came from uh today still anglers hunters outdoorsmen and women from around the world um are the core of the organization but saying that you know almost everybody's impacted by water, whether you need it to support your way of life or your uh, recreation or, you know, the place to kind of reconnect and ground yourself or whether you need it for drinking water, everyone on the planet needs clean water. And so, um, you know, we have a huge movement of people now that, that uh, many of them have never even been fishing, but they're impacted. And so it's, it's really interesting to see, just how something that started by people who were users of the resource can transcend into a larger movement of of the people um, for just the common good of the people. Yeah, it's it's quite amazing. Um, you know, I I personally have found a lot of um, inspiration as I've committed myself to the conservation side of the outdoor industry in the last. A handful of years that there's just a, an amazing amount of people who are waking up every day and making their voice heard or putting uh, getting their hands dirty and uh, doing the work and um, it's great to see that that message is starting to get out and that it's becoming this unifying uh, thing um, for, as you mentioned, not just people who are dedicated outdoorsmen or outdoors women, but people who just want something better for their life. And, uh, yep. you know, your guys' success has been phenomenal. You've done some great um, storytelling. Obviously, you all as guides, I think, probably had a better understanding of self-promotion um, than some other uh, conservation-minded uh, people who 
often want to hyper focus on what I call academically dense content that unfortunately just doesn't resonate as well as we would all hope it would. And yeah. And so you you guys, you know, out the gate, you know, I, I was there at the, the first gala holding the camera uh, for you all filming. And and that was something that you guys were really intentional about from the get go. And then obviously the recent partnership uh, with Columbia Sports Gear um, and and Bannon and uh, everything going on there. That's just an absolutely wonderful little uh, came, campaign series that shows the next generation's commitment and interest and um, excitement about being involved in conservation, which um, people can find that on your guys' Instagram. And I think you could probably still find it on uh, Columbia's uh, social handles as well. Uh, do you know if they oh, still yeah. have it up there? Yeah, cool. Yeah, so they go, sure do. Yeah, go check that out. I mean, that is, um, you know, the son of a founding board member, right? Yeah. Bear was, Bear was, you know, he, he wasn't one of the board members, but he was one of the very first people there. I mean, Bear's like my little brother. Right. And, uh, he, he's been here in this fight since day one. And, and, uh, along with him has, has been banned. you know, the very first video you mentioned captains for clean water, we do, we do a lot of, um, trying to connect people to the resource through, people who use the resources eyes and the very first thing we did was create a kind of an awareness anthem video yep and it's interesting it was all these well-known figures in the outdoors um, brian and travis holman being two of them and rest in peace our um, homie they uh it, it was it was everybody completing a statement about this issue that was happening and eight years later that message in that video is still 100 percent accurate and bannon was in that video i don't remember how old he was at the time i think you i want to say he was like probably two or three years old but he was in that video and then and now to see him you know as a 10 year old doing standing there in front of the camera sending his spreading his own message through columbia is just super cool to see yeah and totally owning it by the way too like the kid just smashed it in that series i love it um You know, and I think that speaks to just going back to some things we've talked about is a shift in how conservation is approached in this country. Um, yeah. You know, when you guys were coming up was, you know, backcountry hunters and anglers was having pretty rapid success at that point in time of really just being this grassroots dominated uh, organization that was hyper focused on policy and um making an impact in your own backyard and uh, the empowerment of their members to be impactful in the places they live, but also feeling like they were impactful in D.C. Um, Yep. That obviously a lot of that unknowingly, I think you guys adapted as well. And now as we look at how conservation is funded, you know, for us at MDF, D.C. is listening. You know, a quite a bit of money was set aside through the IRA and BIL uh, funding for yep. conservation in this country. And um, they're they're listening to the groundswell and, and they're supporting th- these efforts in a way that we've never seen before. Um, yeah. You know, for us to be one of, you know, MDF, we're one of seven organizations that received at least 50 million dollars to do conservation and habitat improvement across the west over the next five years seven organizations being able to attack that on a similar level uh financially is never been seen before and uh to do it at this type of scale gives us a real chance to make change um which is pretty inspiring and and you know, for people out west who maybe don't, or people here in Oklahoma who haven't had the opportunity to venture maybe to uh, to the Keys yet, or these areas in Florida that that you mention, they've probably been out to Colorado, right? And they've, mm-hmm. which again is this massive amount of water that at one point in time used to trickle its way to different places, and uh, with the diverting of that water out west 
and um, we're now seeing the massive effects that it's having in its local area um, due to greed taking re- taking ownership of a water resource. And it's not that much different, in my opinion, than what's going on in the in in your neck of the woods. Yeah, no, it's very very similar, and um, there's a lot of parallels that can be drawn there between those issues and other issues that have happened around. Basically, what you have is a dynamic, but where the water resources are being managed for an individual stakeholder. Usually, they get that way through you know political influence and and contributions and and at the expense of everyone else the the resource itself the wildlife that depend on the resource and the stakeholders um you've seen it in california you've seen it Colorado. you see it here you've you've seen it all all around the world um in our case it's the industrial sugar industry getting water managed um for them perfectly whether it's irrigation supply or whether it's drainage and that's in direct conflict with what the natural ecosystem requires and needs. And so um, it's, that's the case here, but there's all these similarities. You, know, you talk about this um, kind of model and approach, this grassroots approach that, that we've taken, and coincidentally at the same time, DHA um, seeing this huge um, growth and, and in that approach. It's interesting because we weren't, when we started, aware of, of BHA. But I think probably just the nature of, of when we were built and how we were built um, is what really dictated what that approach was. Daniel and I, um, we didn't have experience in the nonprofit world or the conservation organization world. We were just fishing guides. And so we didn't have, we didn't go about this as like any kind of framework or model in mind. We just took an approach of, how can we, we need to reach people. We need to get people like ourselves engaged. How can we do that? And at that point in time, the way you did that for your business was social media. You could, you could tell stories, you could share experiences and in doing so you could get reach, you know, millions of people and and get them to to come fish with you or, um, or, or in this case, join this effort. And, you know, I think if you look at some of the conservation organizations that do great work, but they've been around for 30, 40, 50 years or more. When those organizations were built, there was a, it was a totally different mindset of, of the populace. Um, it's, and what I mean by that is people would receive and digest information in much longer format um, through written physical campaigns, mailed, you know, mailed mailed pieces of, of content, newspaper articles, things like that. And and when we started, I mean, you're, you look at it now at the polar opposite of that is today's world of TikTok, where you're having to capture people's attention and deliver a message to them in 10 seconds. Um, there was this massive shift. When I started guiding, the primary way I got business was I had an ad in the Yellow Pages phone book. I mean, I would say probably nobody in the country even owns a phone book nowadays. And so just that difference in when we were born um, and how we were, this organization was shaped and molded around the tools available to us around social media, um, that, and it was done so from an authentic grassroots place of this is who we are, this is what is happening, and this is, we need your help. Um that model is is extremely effective and impactful and and I don't think that it's it's much harder for an organization who may have started sixty years ago to try to adapt the framework and function of that organization into a new model our Our organization organizations like b h a were just that was where we were born and so that that's a fundamental difference in the structure and operation of uh, carrying out our mission and, and how we go about reaching people. I love that. we got to squeeze in another break here. We're chatting this week with Chris Whitman from Captains for Clean Water. Join us on the other side for more conversation. This is the Outdoor Hour on 107.7 The Franchise. Hey, we were out last weekend 
from Tyler Media, giving out toys at our annual Tyler Media Cares toy drive. And I did something that I've done the last couple of years, and it makes this event, which is a great event to begin with, but it makes it so much more fun. I bring my Pedego e-bike with me every single time, and it just allows me to zip from one location to the other as we're giving out toys to the community, directing traffic. You know, sometimes we have people that get into the parking lot there at Remington Park the wrong direction, and they say, how do I get to where I need to go? And somebody just says, hey, see the guy on the red Pedego e-bike? Just follow him, and I'm able to quickly zip up and get them in line to the right place. I'm not the only guy that rides the bike that week. Everybody seems to want to take a turn riding the Pedego e-bike. So if you're in the market for an e-bike, whether you're going to use it for handing out toys in the Christmas season or like I do a, a majority of the year, strapping a tackle box to the back to get back in deeper on our leases um, or even dragging out deer with the trailer. You know, there's so many uses for that Pedego bike, and it is so much fun. It just takes everything I do in the outdoors to the next level. Go to Pedego OKC and get Get on a test drive today. Go talk to Lance. His store is located on the west side of Lake Hefner in Oklahoma City, uh, right on MacArthur Boulevard there. Lance will save you money if you mention the outdoor hours, so don't forget to do that. They've got a variety of models, massive sand and dirt gravel tires they've got beach cruisers and everything in between regardless of where you're at in your fitness journey and how you want to use the pedego e-bike they'll have something at a price point and a model to suit you so go check out pedego okc you're listening to the outdoor hour on 1077 the franchise back with chris whitman from captains for clean water after this Now, back to the Outdoor Hour with your hosts, Taylor Maples and Josh Stratton on 1077 The Franchise. Welcome back inside the Outdoor Hour. Final segment this week Taylor Maples, Joshua Wild, and Stratton. Yeah, what's up? No head nod this time. No, we're going to pass on that. Didn't get to hear your brains rattling around yeah, inside of there. That's audible for sure. It is for yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On the phone with us this week is Chris Whitman from Captains for Clean Water, dropping some knowledge for us. And I think what's really cool is not only what you guys have been doing, Chris, in the state of Florida with your Captains for Clean Water and just the initiatives, how you've gotten stakeholders to really move forward with some of these things that are on a lot of our hearts and minds as outdoorsmen. Um, but kind of the model that you guys have started and, and helped people to understand that we as outdoorsmen really are the primary stakeholders in this, right? And it's, it's not just for ourselves and our own use. One of my favorite things that I heard from the BHA guys when they were in here is it's not our resource, it's our turn with the resource. And a lot of what you guys are doing here, Chris, with Captains for Clean Water can be applied to other conservation efforts in other states. Yeah, it, it absolutely can. And I think that's the key thing for people to take away and maybe um, reason why they should look into Captains for Clean Water a little farther. You know, we could talk about a lot of the challenges we faced or a lot of the um, successes we've had. I mean, things that were thought six years ago to be impossible, overturning of the governing board of the state water management district, um, getting legislation that was filed by Senate leadership killed. Uh, that would have threatened Everglades restoration, a number of these things. And they could go in, onto our website and our social media and any of the number of outlets that have told those stories. We just did a podcast with Andy Mill and Millhouse Podcast that dives into some of that. But, um, but to really just look at, come into the organization, visit the website, dig around, see how we're effective. Hopefully that will inspire you to, to join our, our effort and add your voice to this fight. But if nothing else, I think it can provide proof of concept of how stakeholders not only are the most effective, but are the a lot of times the only thing that can affect change in a world of policy um, when you have an entrenched special interest that is not aligned with what the, the pop populace as a whole or the ecosystem um, requires. And it's that 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 story can be seen that proof of concept can be seen with captains for clean water and i think if people understand that um they'll be more likely to to be inspired um to to take that approach 
to something in their own backyard, a place that they love, um, and and not do not make the mistake that I made for the first you know 16 years of my career for the first whatever 30 35 years 30 38 years of my life, which was hope somebody else was going to save the place I love. That's that's the the biggest mistake any of us could make. And so um, I think that if people look into the organization. Um, and dive into some of the, the films and stories and videos and, you know, podcasts and whatever. Dive into that for, for knowledge of this fight that we're in, but dive into it for some inspiration that that they're sitting there and, and they could be this catalyst to affect change in their world and the places they love. Um, it's, it's, it's really, it's a really important thing. And, and, you know, look, like being involved can mean a lot of things. Like, Ultimately, I gave up my dream job um, and walked away from it to never return. That's that's a I mean, that makes me sad. That's a that's a thing. It it's, you know, that being said, you don't have to do that to make an impact. There's there's ways that you can plug in, whether it's taking 30 seconds to send an email when an organization puts out a call to action or whether it's taking time to educate people in your circle, whether it's clients that are on your boat or people, friends and family that you're spending time and resource with, educate them on something that is going on that's important to you. And through that, get them to, to join and help you in an effort. There's any way that you can plug in on, on issues like this. And, and I can tell you firsthand that many of, of these efforts, that's the most, that's the most vital component. You know, if you look at, the approach we've taken, it's not just from the grassroots level as far as the individual stakeholders, but it's also been a grass tops level getting through the, through the awareness driven by stakeholders like fishing guides. We were able to elevate this issue onto the radar of the outdoor industry. And you start to have these big brands that have this huge influence and economic impact across the country like Columbia, Yeti, Costa, I mean, you name it, all these hundreds of, of outdoor brands that are involved in this effort now, um, they got involved in the effort because their consumers and their base said this is important. And that voice, those voices of the outdoor industry are the other critical components to seeing policy change or funding because you're now taking the conversation from tarpon and snook are dying, oyster beds are dying, the things I care about are dying. You're moving that now to a language that policymakers understand, and that's economics and ROI. And so this is not we need to spend money because these critters that I care about are dying. This is we need to invest money because it's going to have an economic impact. And being able to draw the comparison of how these issues are, are having an economic impact on a fishing guide who makes you know, a thousand dollars a day or a massive company that is, you know, multi-billion dollars a year. Um, that's a language that policymakers understand. And that's when they can start to see um, that we need to invest in these things that are the foundation of, of not only our way of life, but the foundation of, of the outdoors economy and the outdoor industry. And we as individuals have the ability every day to make an impact, whether it's on a small level or going out and starting an organization like you guys have here. You know, it can be as simple as going to the Blue River locally and picking up trash when you see it. Um, having conversations, like you're saying, Chris, with people, like-minded people, maybe people that sit across the aisle from you about what your interests are and your passions and your desire for the future and how we can work together to create more sustainable um, common sense plans for really complex things. But I think that's part of why a lot of us as humans, not even just outdoorsmen, but as humans do kind of sit back and just assume that somebody else is going to be the change and make that impact is a lot of times maybe we don't know where to start because these feel at face value like such big issues but I yeah. think that sometimes it can really be as simple as like you're saying, just get involved with where you get involved, where you can, how you can, when you can, 
And it can be as simple as something like you guys do at J.D. Adams and Company here, Josh, to talk, you know, keeping it locally, but in the fishing world of your Blue River cleanup days. And you guys do a lot of local efforts and are a part of a lot of local efforts to be a change locally. And that's just as important. Yeah, it's just about allowing access points, right, for people to um, enter where they feel comfortable and then hopefully support them to grow into, um, into their discomfort and become as impactful as they possibly can. Um, and there are some people, uh, Chris, you can speak to this. I know I can speak to this, that, you know, forever and always, they're just going to be, you know, a member, if you will, you know, they're going to pay that $35 or whatever, you know, that's not the model for, for captains, but for other nonprofits and they're going to do that. And then you have others who it becomes a way of life for them and they become incredibly dedicated, um, and involved and are, are leading habitat projects and recruiting, uh, new people, uh, to get involved and, and increase the voice and the power of the organization. And um, there's definitely not a lack of opportunity. And, you know, Captains for Clean Water um, has done an incredible job of this, of just letting people know they exist and uh, allowing them a way in that uh, hopefully keeps them connected and, and empowered and a lot of nonprofit organizations could uh, benefit from taking some of the tactics that Captains for Clean Water has utilized to empower a group of people to make change. Um, you can still make change in this country. I think that's another important takeaway from this conversation is um, you're not voiceless and we're not powerless. And, um, you know, in the big scheme of things, Chris, it's not that many people that are raising the flag of captains for clean water, right? Like there's still a good chunk of people who are utilizing that resource who, uh, have it hoisted the captains for clean water flag on their flagpole, but yet you oh, guys yeah. are still impactful. Right. Um, and absolutely. It's, it's, we need, we need those people. If we're going to continue to be successful, um, we have to we have to grow the amount of people that are that are using their voice and getting involved. You know, if you look at the way this works, when a special interest starts to lose a, a grip on their status quo, um, they they have a ton of resources. They start to put more resource into maintaining the status quo, whether that's through misinformation or different, you know, trying to to continue that kind of disengagement or pe- keep people sitting on the sidelines. Um, in order to be effective, we have to, we have to grow in, in, in order to scale above that. But, you know, I think one of the things that's so um, interesting about, about the outdoors is if you're floating a river and fishing for trout or you're walking a, you know, a CRP field hunting for pheasant and there's another group that floats by you or is, is working another fence line, you're not, you're not going like, where do they stand politically? Where do they stand religiously? Um, you're just out there knowing that, that they love and, and are experiencing the same place that you are. And the outdoors and conservation efforts is something that is one of the few things in our country today that is a unifying um, place to fight. It's, it's, there's so much division in the country. But when you look at Everglades restoration, um, you know, we've, we've had bipartisan support through the entire Florida delegation. We have people like Debbie Washerman Schultz and Matt Gates, who are as far away from each other to the left and the right as they could be, that signed jointly onto a request for funding um, last year to, to say we need to work together and, and save the Everglades. We've, we've seen record funding coming from the state of Florida and the federal government, um, over $2 billion a year. For the last several years out of both you know the trump administration and the biden administration and so um this is a, a unifying thing and i think that's something that um is is appealing and is it just shows like how important these issues are when even the politicians up there that are you know in the swamp trying to figure out their next move to climb the next rung on the political ladder um they identify these efforts, these types of efforts as something that all voters care about. And, and all it takes is us as voters shining a light on that and making sure that they don't forget that. And so 
Um, this is something that, like I said, whether it's, whether it's Everglades restoration and captains for clean water, or whether it's any of the other efforts out there, um, the common denominator there is, is the individuals like yourself, um, being involved and, and being involved in whatever level or manner they can, wherever, however they can fit that into their life. Yeah. And I think, uh, from both being individuals who uh, work in the the conservation space, we owe it uh, to our supporters as well to continue to stay uh, non political. Um, the, the resource is 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 the mission, right? Um, yep. And we are a welcome place, no matter um, your approach or your thought process or where you come from. Uh, clean air, clean water, um, and access to the way of life that we deeply believe in, um, you know, for guys like you and me, Chris, that's hunting and fishing. Right. Um, but I would also argue to say that hunting and fishing can't take, um, authority over, uh, the bottom line, which is the land and the resource must win. Right. And, um, we're going to do everything we can to continue to protect our way of life. Uh, but most importantly, we're going to do everything we can to protect the resource and make sure that it's available for the next generation. Yeah, ab- absolutely. You know, you, you hit the nail on the head there and hopefully, you know, hopefully people can, can go on our website, look at, you know, look at our story a little bit and hopefully that inspires them to, to do something, you know, Josh hearing about um, your journey and inspiration from captains for clean water into where you are today is honestly, that's, that's one of the biggest things that fuels our energy um, in this organization is everybody who works for us, everybody who's involved, they come from a place of passion. And um, that's what drives us every day to try to make a greater impact. And so hearing stories like that, it's, I think above saving the Everglades, my greatest hope um, to see that something that would come from, captains for clean water that would hopefully outlive myself and outlive this organization is that other people were inspired to, to pick up the torch and, and fight for the places they love. This is Chris Whitman from Captains for Clean Water. Chris, thank you so much for joining us this week. I know we have just begun to scratch the surface on this topic. Where can our listeners go one more time for more information, engaging with your organization, with you personally, and just more information on this topic in general? Uh, Yeah, thank you guys again for the opportunity. I would just encourage everybody to visit captainsforcleanwater.org. Um, if you Google that, captainscleanwater.org, and there's just a, a ton of different ways to receive um, some information, whether you like videos or, or written content, follow us on social. Um, but just come on, join us, join the fight. We need your voice. I'm Taylor Maples. That's Joshua Wildman Stratton. Captain, thanks for uh, joining us this week. Always a joy to uh, speak with you, brother, and keep up the good work, man. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Likewise, you can find me on social media at T underscore Maples. Josh is at against underscore current. And you can connect with the Outdoor Hour on social media at Outdoor underscore Hour on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. Always good behind the scenes content there as well. If you have a story to tell or you'd like to join us on the show, send us an email, drop us a note on social media. If you're interested in advertising inside the Outdoor Hour or any other Tyler Media properties, I can help you with that as well. Taylor.m at TylerMedia.com is my email address. That's going to do it for this week's Outdoor Hour. Until next time, go boldly. We'll see you outdoors.